Hello and welcome to Deep Shots. It's been a while. How you doing? Today on the podcast, Slavik and I discuss all of our favorite things in TV and movies since we last talked to you. The list is pretty varied, so stick around and give it a listen. We hope you enjoy the show. If you do, please subscribe, rate, and review us wherever you get your podcasts. If you have a question for a future show idea, drop us an email at deepshotspod at gmail.com. Okay, here we go. Podcast starts in three, two, one. What's in the box? What's in the suitcase? What's in the box? Deep shots. Hey, everybody. Welcome to another episode of Deep Shots. Wade, how are you today? Good, man. Uh, it's been a long time since we've made a recordable episode. Well, well. so you said that the right way. We did give this a shot before, and to due to some technical difficulties, we had to scrap that podcast. But... Totally Slavic We're fault. still... That's okay. I'm comfortable with that. Lessons learned. We relearned some lessons and uh, are now moving forward. So... Family's good. Everybody's hanging in tight. Yeah. Yeah, we've had some, you know, brushes with uh, potential COVID. But, yeah, everyone's everyone's good. Everyone's uh, healthy. It's all good on my end. How about you? Yeah. Um, I honestly don't understand how we haven't gotten COVID yet, considering uh, the folks near and dear to us that have gotten it. Mm-hmm. It's just so bizarre. I just think... Maybe some of the testing isn't as high quality as we think it is. It's like running through raindrops. Yeah. Yeah. So, but everybody's doing well. Uh, finally, some snow here in western New York, so we're taking advantage of the ski season. Yeah, and uh, my snowblower decided didn't want to start yesterday, which was fantastic. I was one of those guys who didn't uh, heed the warnings and, you know, start it like a month ago or two months ago and run it over the summer. I didn't, I didn't do any of that, and paid for it yeah i noticed that as i am getting older it's tougher and tougher to maintain the toys i have i have like three chainsaws that every time i go to start don't start and i have to run them to a store to get them decarbed i'm like why am i bothering with this yeah yeah so i've been watching youtube videos you know trying to clean out the carburetor probably you know end up having to call a guy to do that when like you said if i could just had a guy who did my driveway then maybe i wouldn't have to have a guy to decarb my snowblower but i mean that's the best part about having youtube though is is that it, it can give you instruction on how how to decarb a carburetor is, in a snowblower is is it really the best thing about youtube is it <laughs> i don't know <laughs> how much time have you invested now in decarbing your carburetor no i just i thought you had other interests with youtube but no, I mean, if you're going to be in a bikini and, and run in from a gorilla monster, I'm probably going to watch it. I'm probably going to watch it. Let's uh, save that for another podcast. I, we don't have to ever talk about it again. I mean, but point of fact, I, if you're in a bikini and granted, I mean, and and you claim to be a doctor of science. Yet you put up a podcast where you're camping and a monster comes and you still stay there. I mean, chances are I'm going to watch it. Yeah, I'm chances out. Chances are. I'm out. I'm out. But that's just you and me. That's the difference between you and me. I need a higher form of, of, of entertainment to keep my attention. Yeah. Yeah. As told by Dark, that mm-hmm. wonderful story. Um, 
so today we're going to kind of reset our podcast. Uh, we're going to kind of we're going to do something we haven't done. We're going to revisit the podcast we lost. We're going to really quickly run through how wonderful a movie Matrix Resurrections was, and then we're going to talk about over since we haven't done this in seven months or eight months, maybe it's even longer now. We're going to talk about our favorite or what we've been watching in the past months and understand what we liked, what we didn't like, and just have a general discussion on TV and television and then uh, and movies, and then preset what we're going to do next. Sure. Does that sound about right? Sounds good, man. All right. So jumping into Matrix Resurrections, which I just felt we needed to talk about this because we lost that podcast. And it was just such a horrendous continuation of, I'd say, a C-minus at best story from the first movie. I think we all agree it was incredible. It was amazing. Set the tone for something new and exciting. And then two and three, just overinflated budgets, turned in, turned, got away from storytelling, went into the action genre. And then what are your thoughts on Matrix Resurrections? Because I already kind of know what you're thinking. Yeah, it it just totally was a miss. I, I, they, I, I thought the setup was, was somewhat clever in, um, you know, how, how they were setting it up. And again, spoilers for Matrix Resurrections. But, um, you know, the whole video game concept being that, the you know, they – uh, Keanu Reeves or Mr. Anderson, Thomas Anderson is back in the matrix and he's, uh, but he's a video game designer and all his memories are part of this video game that he designed. I, you know, I thought that was a pretty cool con- conceit, but then how meta it was yet it seemed to be making fun of itself yet kind of doing everything that the original matrix movies did. I, I it just, it was confusing and it seemed to just be more of the same of what we see in pop culture these days that, you know, nothing, nothing dead ever dies, basically. And it's concerning to me that that's, you know, that's what, you know, I, everything is intellectual, intellectual property. And, and what, what can we reboot and what can we try to make you nostalgic for? And uh, I just think it was... A, just a huge miss on a lot of levels. And there's, there's a whole, whole bunch of stuff with the, you know, as far as the details of the story that I don't know if we want to get into, but, um, just, just a big miss overall for me. Yeah. I don't think, I mean, I couldn't agree with you more. I, I can't get over why some characters made it back. Other characters are completely redesigned. Uh, Morpheus is now somehow an agent, but an agent with some type of good conscience, the even like simple details of reintroducing a new enemy and a new architect to the matrix he i mean the flaws he has he's not super intelligent when it comes to i mean he literally launches bodies off the top of skyscrapers to try to get um neo and trinity uh there's for some reason you see flashbacks to the other movies and then they try to recreate those scenes right in front of you. Really the only thing that I found interesting and likable was a scene with Christina Ricci where they're actually poking fun of everything this movie does. 
Like, it's just very bizarre. So I think it's a complete miss. It's a story that didn't need to be retold. It's not a good enough trilogy to sustain a fourth film. Unfortunately, I think they're going to make a fifth and a sixth film. Yeah, that's where they leave us. Um, although, although I don't know that this is making money. Is this? Did this make money? I don't know. Yeah, well, I haven't looked at the numbers recently, but you know, I think it. I think it got enough buzz and, and made enough money in theaters. And again, they did this uh, the Warner Brothers thing where it was released uh, on HBO Max as well as in the theaters. Um, and I think there was. I, I did read enough positive reviews of it that I think it has its fans. But I, I just, it just missed me. I, I just. I, there was the I'm, my brain is possibly too logical for a lot of this, and when things don't make sense in a science fiction movie, I I, I trip on it a lot, and I tripped on this many many times. I completely agree, but even the messaging, social messaging around, and and we've talked about this at nauseum around Star Wars, how one set of movies creates a narrative that. Luke Skywalker is the one and he's going to bring back balance to the force. And then in the matrix, we're told Neo is the one he's the one that can transcend not only the matrix, but also in the physical world, he has superpowers there too. Yet here, the whole thing is reset that nope, not he's not the one him and Trinity are the one. And, and I and he doesn't have powers this, in the real world anymore, which right and so that's even more bizarre. Like it just makes no sense. Mm-hmm. There's that woman too. I what's her name? Jada Pickett. I don't remember what her character name is, but she's just a disaster. She's grumpy, old, and and nasty, and and you you just want her to go away as soon as she's. And it on makes the no sense. And if you dig into it, the the whole she had to be sixty years older really didn't make a ton of sense i i mean i guess if you know this second society that she built you know for that to be as developed as it was i guess you need some time but i i don't 60 years seemed to be uh you know just kind of plucked out of the sky and it just it was it just it was distracting and I think the movie would have been better if that character, that Niobe character, was was actually played by Lawrence Fishburne as as Morpheus, and you know he's disillusioned, and you know the stuff, all the stuff he did years ago for to save the or to you know bring forth the one just didn't work or didn't work out the way he planned. But I, again, I I'm not you know not sure of the politics of of that or you know the relationships between the Wachowskis or. Uh, Lana Wachowski and, and Larry Fishburne, I, I, you know, I have no idea. But, you know, all I know is he was apparently not contacted um, and asked to be in the movie. So, just odd. Well, I mean, her story is so bizarre, too, in that she isn't taking the best interests of her people. She's like, I'm not going to build any defenses. And you're like, well, but but why wouldn't you? Like, you're now in charge of all of these people. And again, the the kind of thrust of the Matrix, or at least the first Matrix movie, was we need to free as many minds from this right. from being batteries. 
and she doesn't seem interested in that anymore. Well, so that was my argument around... So the first movie talks about freeing minds and souls. The other two, now call it three, they don't even care about the enslavement of humanity to be batteries. They just kind of let that go, which you're like, mm-hmm. oh, man, it's a tough... I, as far as trilogies go, this is definitely not my favorite, and I think I mentioned in the podcast we lost, that we should do a favorite trilogy, like a rundown what our favorite trilogies are. I'd be hard-pressed to have this included on my list. Well, yeah, and, and the problem is, again, nothing. Uh, all of our the trilogies of our youth are now becoming four and five movies right. because we can't, leave these, we can't leave these things alone. I mean, so. the, when I say trilogy, we, we're, obviously we're going to have some leniency there because now Star Wars is nine, ten movies. Ten movies? Yeah. Ten movies. Well, no, I'm sorry, 11 movies, right? Well, if you count Solo and Rogue, Rogue, One, Rogue yeah, One, it's 11. So it's 11 movies. So, I don't know. I think it's uh, a pre- pretty crappy way to reboot a series, and Hollywood just needs to... You, you, I mean, I don't know what they're going to do, because it's either Marvel, DC, or crappy reboots, and that's and that seems to be the mantra in Hollywood right now, and unfortunately... Yeah. We'll see, though. We got an Oscar show coming up. Um, I know you guys were all big fans of our Oscar show last year, all two of you. Um, so uh, we're really excited to do that again. Although, yeah, what was, yeah, we I'm talked looking, about I'm, the Oscar. Um, there's not a ton of movies that fit the mold of an Oscar movie for Picture of the Year, right? It's 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 going to be interesting. Yeah, the. Last year, a lot of these, a lot of movies landed on streaming, you know, maybe due to the pandemic and what have you, and it just doesn't seem like they're, and maybe it's production schedules or what have you, from my opinion, there's just not a ton of kind of what I would call prestige movies out there that I think fit that best picture mold. So um, will we see Dune in the best picture category? Will we see Spider-Man No Way Home in the in the best picture category, um, it's going to be interesting. Um, I mean, you know, I've seen some movies, and we'll we'll kind of talk about our, our favorite movies and, and favorite TV shows. Uh, I think a couple of the ones that I have on my my list might be best picture uh, nominees, but it's uh, it's going to be an interesting year because of I think it'll, it's going to be a year unlike any other. I, I think when we look back on this, hopefully ten or twenty years from now, and we're outside the pandemic, um, it. There, it'll be a year that there's definitely a dip in quality, in my opinion. But I don't know. I think that they'll sneak out just like they do every year. Movies that are, are obscure and you just didn't know about. But we'll see. I guess I wonder. Mm-hmm. Um, I'll make this statement. I don't know that there's a diverse group of movies to choose from. It doesn't seem like the thing that Hollywood ran into a couple years ago where they were trying to be very inclusive of of different movie makers and different production types. That doesn't seem to be the case this year. It really seems to be, I, I, I haven't seen that. Let, let me put it that way. And maybe I need to pay closer attention. But nothing is jumping off at the screen at me that, hey, this is done by a new creative force that is a member of a minority or or anything like that. Yeah, I think... I think there's a lot of movies like that on the fringes, but I yeah, you're right. I there's nothing that's jumping to mind of uh of what I've heard of the potential uh 
you know, best picture nominees that that I think fit that mold. Yeah. But. So do we give Matrix Resurrection a rating or do we just move on? Maybe we just move on. Boy. Don't, don't go um, see it. <laughs> yeah, uh, definitely, you know, watch it on a nice screen in your own home. But, yeah, I don't know that it would have. Uh, I That's what I did. I don't know that it would have improved if I had seen it in the theater. But, I actually uh, think it, for me, after the last podcast, I was thinking, do I think this is worse than Wonder Woman 1984? And I actually think it's worse than Wonder Woman 1984 because I don't know that I'll ever want to watch this movie again. Whereas Wonder Woman 1984, I think eventually I'll give it another chance. I won't like it after that second chance, but I think I will give it a second chance. Yeah, I agree with you. I think I think it's worse than Wonder Woman 84. Uh, Wonder Woman 84 at least had you know some interesting performances where I think people were kind of going for it. it. It may not have connected, but uh, I think what Pedro Pascal's doing there as, as Max Lord is, was 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 fun uh, again it didn't make a whole lot of sense but it was at least it was at least cheeky and, and kind of fun right so anyhow all right let's uh let's get out of this resurrections yeah. bullshit and uh move into how do you want to do this you want to start with tv or movies what do you think yeah let's just kind of talk about the things that we've we've been watching and the you know the, the kind of you know what stuck out to you and again it may not have to have been something new um, Definitely that, you know, not. just came out in 20, something came out in 2021, but you know, what, what did you watch this past eight, nine months that we, you know, we haven't been doing these, um, that, that stuck out to you and maybe just, you know, let's kind of trade off. Let's go, you know, you give one, I'll give okay. one, you know? Um, so I'll start it off with a show that kind of bounced around in my brain for a little while. I think when it first came out, I had little to no interest in it. It just came across as a teeny bopper drama. And um, I don't know, my son has some crazy interest in football. And uh, my wife and I decided to take on Friday Night Lights. And we managed to watch all of the seasons, which is pretty impressive for us right now. <laughs> that is that is impressive. I mean, how honestly, it's... it's I, I mean, I watched it when it was on TV. I watched it week to week. I DVR'd it. I, I mean, it's, it's seven seasons and what is it, 100 and... I mean, it's got to be 140 episodes. So right? I'm looking at uh, IMDb right now, and Kyle Chandler, who's the the main yeah. character, really. Yeah, it's Coach Taylor. Coach Taylor. He's uh, 76 episodes. Oh, so it's not as many as I thought it was. I thought they were 22-episode seasons. So are you taking well, away maybe... the ooh and awe you displayed when I said I, know, that I watched I... all the seasons? Because I... Well, so... 76 is impressive, but the, I, I watched all, and it's not on my list, but I watched all of The Bureau this summer, which is a French uh, oh, yeah, kind of right. uh, French Secret Service uh, or Homeland Security uh, show, and it's like 62 episodes or something like that. So yeah. I thought you were uh, putting, in, uh, putting in tons of work, but, uh, you know. No. So um, I what we found extremely interesting um, was how well – Eric Taylor's written in the story. He really, he really has written well. He was, he was literally my favorite character on TV for about five years. Like I, I mean, I just, I loved it. I mean, if he was my dad or my coach, I would have, you know, (laughs) my dad, my, my life would have been different. No, I'm just, uh, uh, 
No, I I really enjoyed it. You know, until uh, until Raylan Givens came along on Justified, I, you know, Coach Taylor was was the guy I'd most want to be oh, on TV. Oh, uh, yeah, I, I was a, I was a big fan. So, so uh, that's that's it's pretty funny though that that's you know that's what's on your list of things that stand out to you for the from the. I year. mean, we we made a commitment. I mean, we made a commitment to the mm-hmm. show. We also enjoyed Connie Britton. Um, I loved her from The West Wing. She's um, a pretty. Uh, she comes across coach's, coach's wife. wife. She comes across as very down to earth, um, and that comes right across the screen. She behaves a lot like yeah. my wife, who basically handles ninety nine point nine percent of all the things family oriented, and then I'm just along for the ride. And I get this, you know, occasionally you have some some wrinkle where you make a stand on, and that's exactly the relationship they had, which uh, I thought was pretty cool. The thing that we got the most out of it and um that we found super interesting was you saw a progression in the writing so when the show came out in 2006 it kind of still had the old style uh tv drama off the wall dramatics that put the characters they had the characters kind of had to fend them way out of it 2000 or the second season is by far one of the most ridiculous seasons of all time in in dramatic television literally i'm not becomes a murderer right there's literally a a cover-up of a murderer these are high school kids right somewhere between the end of season three and through season six they figure it out and really kind of they tackle some real interesting issues as far as race relations kids and abortion um, you know, just general football culture and athletic culture, competitiveness for kids, um, that I don't think they tackled, um, anywhere else, maybe Degrassi junior high. <laughs> now that I think about it, but, um, I just thought the show overall was a solid B really enjoyed it. Um, thought it was really kind of neat to explore high school football. Okay. Let's move on to your favorite. Or one of your favorites, I guess. Yeah, I think um, you know the one of the shows, and I think you and I, when I both shared it, um, was uh, for all mankind, and that's on Apple Plus. And I had heard about the first season and and saw some of the commercials for it, and, and didn't pick it up. But after the second season ended on, uh, you know, and that was May, June, somewhere in there. I, there was a lot of scuttlebutt online about the, the the fantastic finale of the second season, and so, you know, I thought, well, I'll give it a shot. And I liked the first season well enough. I thought it was, um, uh, I thought it was very interesting. It, it's if you're not familiar with the show, it's kind of an alternate history yep. of the space program. If basically Russia made it or the Soviet Union made it to the moon first, um, and I won't spoil too much of it, but. The second season definitely takes a turn, and it, it they go from the '60s to what the the '80s, and it becomes kind of more the the Cold War era. And uh, it, it's it's just a fantastic show, and it um, the this the second season finale is just incredible. Um, just three different storylines coming together um, for you know kind of one common goal. And uh, it involves duct tape and a, uh, a run on the moon. Yeah. And it's just 
just a fantastic show. I mean, I, I really that that's that episode of TV was probably the best episode of TV all year that I saw with that with that season two finale. Wow. Yeah. So my wife and I also watched this one. Um, thought it was really good. Really like Joel Kinnaman. Uh, I think he's a pretty mm-hmm. solid actor, and he's in the um, Suicide Squad movies. So I think the perspective, and I don't know if you're, we're willing to spoil this, but the perspective is that the Russians beat us to the moon, right? And so it mm-hmm. flips the reality kind of on its side and how the United States has to react to it. And there's a whole bunch of interesting dynamics that happen in the race, like within the context of a political arena. But what I really felt moved by was you got kind of in the 70s how the relationships of all these people were. And then in the 80s, how they had progressed. And you don't get the middle part, really. You know, and so... Mm-hmm. Couples you thought were going to survive forever didn't survive forever. And um, mm-hmm. I thought that was really kind of neat that they put it in the backdrop of of the space race, that it was really relationship-based. The star in this show, though, is the – her name is Ren Schmidt. She's the, um, the director of the – or I guess not the director, but, yeah, the space director, the launch director, mission control mm-hmm. director – her her character is so phenomenal. It's played beautifully by her. I, I think it that that part of the show is really empower. Like we talk about how movies and television are trying to empower women and show their sophistication and show how you know they tackle leadership and tackle the challenges coming their way. Whoever wrote her character gets it and it's phenomenal and she brings a strength to the character and a vision to the character that i think is hard to find anywhere else so on the uh, on the opposite end of that spectrum i think is uh, the karen baldwin character who's, who's paid, played by chantelle van Sant. uh she's again joel kenneman's wife and there's a storyline in her for the second season there that i i didn't uh I wish I could have fast-forwarded all the scenes. It was just really kind of creepy. and uh, I'm not sure I know what you're talking up, about. She ends up um, sleeping with her son's friend, her, her dead son's friend. But it, like, it's not, I mean, it's not creepy. It's just life. Like, they, they're showing a betrayal of she's, yeah, her husband's married to space exploration and NASA and... I don't know. I think as far as she starts her own bar, right? She runs a bar, which is unprecedented at that time. She's lonely, obviously. I don't know. I think the women are written really well. They're complicated. They're sophisticated. Is it great for her to be a pedophile? No. I mean, let's just say in general, <laughs> being a pedophile is wrong. Okay? Let's all agree. Yeah, well, I, let's all agree. I, 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 I don't, he was, yeah, I, I think he was supposed to be 19 or 20, but it was just kind of weird that it was – her dead son's best okay. friend. Okay. When you say it like that, yeah. it sounds very depressing. I got to tell you. <laughs> yeah. So what else have you been watching now that we've uh, – again, I just tore down something I really love. Yeah, anyway. so despite Wade's criticism, it's a great movie. It's great for the, – the way the women are written is awesome. The way the men are written is awesome. The way the show is written, it's great. It, definitely check it out if you can. The uh, – the, um, I can't believe we haven't talked about this because my, my brain is going to – blow out of its socket 
Uh, I thought you were going to actually bring it up first, and that's Ted Lasso season two. Yeah, I I really enjoyed Ted Lasso. It's not actually on my list of kind of best things I watched this year. Um, Can't believe it. I I, I I I was a huge fan of the first season. If you if you don't believe me, I'll go back to our our first episode or our our first talk about Ted Lasso where we uh, tackled the whole first season. Uh, I thought it was good. I I really. You know, a lot of people were down on it, um, and but I, I wait enjoyed a minute. it. Wait a minute, wait a minute. There... A lot of people were down on the season two? Yeah. yeah. Really? Why? I didn't know that. Um, uh, I think there was, you know, a, a lot of people thought it was just kind of more of the same um, and that it lacked a kind of central villain um, in, in, in season two. But I think what was unique about it was that fact that there wasn't a, you know, uh, a character or a team that was the villain throughout. You got to be kidding me that that's for real. But but it really, to me, was was unique that they they made themselves the villains and and their own psychology. You know, everyone was kind of fighting their own demons throughout the, that's throughout what the i season. was gonna say is yeah. that that you that it pulled the first season was all about um an enemy and forgiveness right kind of outside season two was all about them interpersonally connecting falling out of favor taking chances realizing that some chances are probably wrong, diving into relationships both on the field and off the field. Um, and they set up a villain at the end. So, mm-hmm. I, I mean, sure. I, I don't really understand why the, that, that would have been a concern. But they tackled something that I thought was uh, super heartfelt in that the first season, Ted Lasso was kind of made out of bulletproof and, and – his sensitivity was kind of uh, refreshing for a character, right? And you got the sense that this was a caring man, but he had his shit together. In season two, they dismantle that, and he has serious mental... I don't want to say mental issues. He has things he's working out and trying to work through, and they just did a great job of tackling that. And then on top of that, they added that his assistant coach has kind of the same shit going on. He also has some things that he's trying to work out and, and figure out in that we're all kind of in this mess together. I don't know. I thought it was a great, great, I mean, now I might part, I think part of the reason why I like that show so much is because you don't get that, especially from a male men characters anywhere else right now like if they're not in a suit or a cape it and there's always some kind of witty banter some kind of witty one-liner that the men have to throw out i don't know this this show tackles some important um real type life stuff and i they do it witty with class and screw all those people that didn't think that it was good i take all them on specifically i loved uh, one of my one of my kind of favorite moments of the year, even though Ted Lasso again it kind of isn't on my list of top TV shows, uh, was that episode where 
uh, Rebecca's father dies, and they do that intercutting of Ted and therapy talking about the day his father died and the day his father committed suicide um, with yeah. Rebecca talking about the day she found out her father was having an affair. And the way they intercut that um, was just incredible, very moving. Um, you know, and as <laughs> I seem like I bring this up on every podcast, uh, you know, someone who's lost their father recently, you know, thank, thankfully my, you know, my father did not commit suicide. Um, so I don't have that trauma, but just that longing for a parent who's gone, um, you know, was, was very relatable to me, you know, on both sides and, yeah. uh, it, you know, just, just really, really spectacular. Yeah, and I I think you know when shows can relate to you that way, I think they mean a little bit more, and, I, and it just drives me nuts that we're that critical around these shows. I guess we wouldn't have a podcast if you weren't critical about them, but yeah. I don't know. I thought it was pretty good. Um, I'll, I'll make one more comment that the um, the relationship between Keely Jones and Roy Kent is so crazy interesting as far as how sophisticated it is and how they keep entering new layers into it. Yeah. The, you know, the dynamic, the power dynamic of the relationship kind of flipped this season. And, you know, they showed a lot how kind of Roy was grappling with that and kind of left it in a, in a weird spot, you know, moving forward. So it'll be, it'll be definitely interesting to see how they pick that up. I'd say precarious. Yeah, Yeah. Yeah. All right. So, uh, we're still pretty high on Ted Lasso. So let's move on to the next one. Yeah, so the next show is uh, on my list uh, was is a recurring show, and honestly, outside of Better Call Saul, I think it's uh, you know of shows that are have been around for more than a couple of seasons. I think it's the best show on television, and that's and that's Succession. Um, Succession season three was just incredible. Um, you know, the show had been gone for about two years. Um, due to COVID and, and what have you, but it came back with guns blazing. And um, if you haven't seen Succession, I've, I'm trying. I'm goading uh, Slavic into into watching it so we can do some podcasts on it. I, I think you're what through about halfway through season one right now. Yeah, a little more, a little more done, a little more yeah. than half. So again, I'm not going to spoil much of what happens in season three, but uh, there's there was some just some fantastic episodes there and you know jeremy strong brian cox uh kieran culkin uh, the um i can't think of the uh, the young lady that plays shiv roy but uh, you know they're just all the top sarah of the game. snook sarah snook when that when that cast is together and that's that's what i love about the show is they they kind of fabricate all these different reasons to get these people into into the same room and it's just it's satire and drama all pushed together in this kind of hamlet metaphor or or shakespearean metaphor that it's actually more king lear than it is hamlet but um i find it just gripping and just again i I think it's the best show on tv right now and uh i can't wait is there anybody out there that doesn't like it oh i'm sure there's there's people who think it's lost its fastball or what have you but i mean it's you know it's it's a hard watch at times because these people are so unlikable but the more you stick with it you you start to understand their damage and 
again, they become they become likable, and then they become unlikable, and then they become likable, and it's you know it's it's hard to say that you're ever rooting for any one person on the show, but it's um, yeah. It's just an incredible watch to me. And I, uh, I, again, can't wait for you to catch up. Yeah, I, I don't have much to say. I'll save it for when we do our podcast on it. I'll say this, that first couple of episodes are slow to get into. Not because it, they're just paced. You, you meet everybody, and then one of the main characters who you're really looking forward to learning more about is basically taken out of the show. Mm-hmm. And... You're like, ah, that sucks. But I'm going to do it. We're going to get through season one, and we're going to do a podcast on it. Well, you know, the other thing I'll say about it is, you know, with the with one kind of, uh, and if you're binging it, you don't have this problem. With one glaring exception, the, it's not a show. It's not a mystery box show. I mean, everything is there for you to understand. There's not, you know, there's no theorizing about it. There's, um, it's. It's just there, and it's it, it puts everything on the line, and it's just balls to the wall at, at every moment. And just when you think they can't go deeper or the spiral can't go farther, they take you there. And, and it's, you know, I, like I said, I can't wait for you to catch up and talk more about it. But uh, The next show I want to talk about was a show that actually literally just wrapped up last week uh, called Station Eleven. It was on HBO Max. Um, I was really kind of skeptical going into it and and i'll say this it's a slow burn for sure um the first episode is actually a really tough watch because it's a show about a global pandemic and but it's a global pandemic that kills like 99.9 percent of the population so it's not as um it's definitely more lethal than than anything we're dealing with um yeah that's what we want to watch <laughs> yeah but and and honestly, it's so it's a ten episode show that literally takes about five episodes to set the entire table of the show. But I gotta tell you that those back five episodes are incredible TV. It, it's again, it's a show about a pandemic, but it's a show about joy and forgiveness and healing after a pandemic, and. I, there was some, the, the last two episodes, um, are so fantastic that it skyrocketed on my list. Um, after again, I was kind of wishy-washy about it. And to be honest, I, I I don't, if I told you to watch it, I don't, I don't know that you'd make it. I, it's, it's, it's really slow. And, um, Again, the the first episode is is really tough to watch, especially there's just little things like they're in a theater and someone starts coughing and and you're like, oh shit, you know, and it's just stuff that we deal with on a on a kind of a daily basis now that uh, that that is just unsettling. Um, but the what's what's also great about it is it takes this story or this pandemic, but it boils it down to about 10 characters, oh maybe more than that, in in the Midwest. You know, we don't we don't they don't ha- they don't feel the need to tell us what's going on in San Francisco, in New York City, and in Tokyo. It's just these characters in 
literally um, going around uh, Lake Michigan, traveling around Lake Michigan. Uh, it's, again, just phenomenal TV. I was blown away by it and how much joy. And it was kind of the Ted Lasso of 2021 for me in that it 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 gave me joy. It made me feel better about society on the whole wow. um, than, uh, than, you know, where – Again, where succession leaves you, which kind of leaves you a little bit demoralized about America, um, but it's um, it, it just it's a show that I I really highly recommend. And for those who've seen it, uh, again, episodes nine and ten are just fantastic TV. And I hope uh, everyone who has seen it agrees with me. There's um, a lot of good actors in it and actresses. Um, yeah, Mackenzie so Lord, Davis. I don't know who Mackenzie Davis is. I don't know what she's been in, but. Himesh Patel, he's he's a um, he did that yeah, he was, Beatles thing, right? Yeah, he was he was really good in that. Lori Petty is Tank Girl, that so yeah. she's great. But Enrico yeah. Colantoni, he he kind of shows up in these movie these shows. Yeah, he's well. he's kind of a that guy. But the the interesting conceit conceit about it is it tells the story of kind of the first hundred days after the pandemic starts, or the you know that that uh, you know when the this pandemic hits and then it flash forwards 20 years so matilda lawler and mackenzie davis play the same person basically 20 years apart and they're both phenomenal and what's going to be interesting is uh you know i don't know if the emmys mean anything but i think they're both going to be nominated for the emmy for, for for an emmy for playing the same character um which i don't know if that's ever happened before which is again just kind of interesting so it it the story tells it from two perspectives. Well, again, it, in it, time, it, it, do, it does a whole lot of flashing around, and it, yeah, it 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 kind of tells the story in two different time periods. Basically, um, the first hundred days of this pandemic, and then how they are living twenty years later as well. Hmm. And uh, it's just there's a lot of weaving in and out through time and they just tell you enough of the story to to you know they don't tell they don't they don't force feed you and hand feed you a lot of it and i think the way that they jump back and forth at the time is very effective and it makes you yearn for well okay there's only two of them leaving the building we but we know there was three in the apartment what what happened to that guy but they don't give you that that resolution until later and when they do give you that resolution it pays off even more so there's um it, it's just a very interesting way to tell this story and again i th- w- where it leaves you with is is just a very satisfied conclusion again just just a warm joyous story hmm. um you know there's there when you, the um at the end of the first episode you you you'll be like wait what the hell are you talking about how can this how can this story be joyous um but it's uh Really well done. One of my favorite things of the year. Cool. I'm going to have to check that out. I like when you talk about stuff like that. I'm normally pretty happy when I see. And there's a there's um, many productions of Hamlet throughout it. <laughs> okay. Yeah. You just sold it even more. I love Hamlet. You, you know that about me. All right. So um, I think we're wrapping up the TV portion, unless you have one more that you have to talk about. No. All right, you start us off with a movie, though. So, uh, a movie that I really loved uh, was was Coda, 
CODA stands for Child of Deaf Adult. And it's about a, um, a young girl who is not deaf living with a family of, of, of deaf. Her parents are deaf and her brother is deaf. And it's just a really, again, you know, maybe I'm growing soft. It's just a nice, heartwarming story about this young girl who, you know, her parents and her family relies on her as their, lack of a better term, or their interpreter because she can sign and she can live in in both worlds. She, you know, she she can speak with, she can live with her parents and she can go out into the into the public. But she's very torn between these two worlds because she wants to go to college. She um, finds that she's a fantastic singer and wants to go to music school. Um, Coda also has music implica- music implications as well. Um, so I, th- I thought it was just a really interesting um, story. And I think it the some of the performances, Amelia Jones as, as Ruby, the main character, is fantastic. Um, but the, the breakout star... Uh, from it is is her father Troy Kotzer, and I think he's going to be nominated for for an Oscar for his, in supporting uh, again a, a deaf adult who I don't believe has af- acted in anything previously, but he's so fantastic in this movie. There's a scene with with Ruby and her father um, near the end of the movie, and they're sitting in the back of a pickup truck having a heart to heart conversation in sign language, and it's it's so moving um, and. It's just, again, something I, I completely recommend if you haven't picked it up. Uh, Coda on Apple TV, my favorite movie of the year. For the record, he's in a bunch of stuff. Really? Yeah. He, uh, I mean, actor, 16 credits. Hmm. I, don't, I don't know how old he is. Um, I have heard absolutely nothing about this movie. I don't know where you find this thing. I, I have not heard well, anything about it. I'm really hoping it gets nominated for Best Picture. I think it's kind of on the outside looking in right now. But, uh, again, it was just one of the ones I saw pop up on Apple TV. I watched it with, you know, with my mother and uh, my sister, and we just we all really loved it. It's uh, just an, a nice, nice story about family. Again, the, the connections, the ties that bind, basically. So. Hmm. Hmm. All right, well, I, I don't know that I had a favorite favorite movie um i had a lot of catching up on some movies that i did and i'll get into one or two of those but um one movie that stood out as a really interesting story and i think it's gonna be oscar bound i think you would know better than i would was the last duel Hmm. which kind of had a who's who in hollywood uh matt damon and ben affleck are in it jody comer Jodie Comer's in it, Adam uh, Driver's in it. It really is an interesting take on, man, how to put this lightly, male dominance at a time when I think men had all, everything um, as far as rights and controls and Mm -hmm. a man standing up for his honor. Uh, Yeah, I I haven't seen it yet, but I... What I've heard about it, I'm very intrigued, and I was actually going to try to watch it last weekend and, and didn't get around to it. But um, what I know of it is that it's the story of uh, a, Jodie Comer's character is claims that she was raped, um, but and then there's this these two men, the the husband of Jodie Comer and and the man who's accused of the rape, 
And but the story they tell the story from all three perspectives. That's right. And I th- I think that's uh, I think that's an interesting concept to, to you know again the you know which narr- which narrator is the most reliable. Um, yeah, that's it's interesting. I watched it with my father. We came to the same conclusion that who who do you trust out of all of these? And I think they take it from a, a very interesting perspective, but. In the end, there's a violent act committed on somebody that's unwilling, and it's interesting. I think they show the perspectives of the men, even though the interpretation by one of the men is completely way off base. Um, But definitely a good movie. I would check it out. I do think that this one, with the weight that they have as far as the power of Damon and Affleck, I think Affleck's the one that actually directed it. I don't know. Maybe I'm wrong about that. Oh, but... Ridley Scott directed it. Oh, that okay. So Ridley, yeah. I'm looking so at yeah, it right the now. other thing that was interesting about this movie was that Damon and Affleck wrote the male parts of the movie, and they brought somebody else in, Nicole Hofcenter, to brought her in to to write the female parts of the movie, which is uh, I've I've never heard of that happening in a movie before. Um, so just a lot of a lot of interesting things about the movie that uh, has piqued my interest. I, as far as you know, your the Oscar worthiness of it, I don't. From what I've heard, I don't think it's going to be in the best picture category. But I, I think that potentially Ridley Scott might might be nominated for best director. Um, I don't see that, how it can't be with the limited, like we talked earlier in the podcast. How yeah. there's not that many. So if there's a time for one, yeah. I, I think it's an excellent movie, and yeah. the production value is great. The way the action scenes are done, Driver gives a great performance. Damon gives a great performance. Affleck gives a great performance. Comer gives a great performance. I think it's there. Now, if they added some more landscapes, I think this would be a sure winner. (laughs) (laughs) So the next movie I want to talk about, uh, I think, checks a lot of the boxes. But because it's sci-fi, I think... It, you know, it's it's going to be taken down, and it's IP, but the, and that's Dune. Um, I saw this movie in IMAX, and it was definitely, you know, the the, the best theater experience I've had uh, all year. Um, I didn't watch or remember much of the you know the nineteen eighties version of Dune. Were that's a, a good thing. Were you a fan? No, fan? No? no. Actually, I remember reading the books as a teenager and being like, "Oh, Dune and stings in it." And I can't wait to see it. And then you're like, "What the f is this?" <laughs> but I'm a big fan of uh, of Denis Villeneuve. I uh, I liked I liked Blade Runner 2049 a lot. I liked uh, Arrival a lot. He did Sicario. Um, these you know all movies that uh, you know I just enjoy his vision. And I thought the vision that he he he, he put on screen here is just incredible. Um, I thought it was. Really interesting movie. Um, I I, lo- I loved that it ended with a fist fight or a knife fight. Like that was the end. Of, you know that was there was no big, you know, space battle that you know and and no one you know beat the Death Star or you know uh, or blew up the Death Star. It, it, it I just I I loved that that's where it ended. I mean there was a big space battle or land battle, you know, a land battle, but. Um, I, I just I, I thought the visuals were stunning, and I think it's an intriguing story. And I, you know, I'm shocked that it took 
till 2021 for someone to to put it on film properly. Yeah, you obviously don't remember that first one. Well, that was brutal. Um, I think there's a couple like shining lights, like Stellan Skarsgård as the Bat Baron Vladimir Harkonnen is yeah. amazing. You don't even know it's him. Like he is just. Yeah. He's just a big worm or it's something. It's like, holy cow, is. is that amazing? Um, Re- Rebecca Ferguson gives a great performance. Timothy Chalamet. Um, I don't know if I said that right. I think I did. But it is flat out, the story is so much more mature than what the first Dune was. And, you know, they the, the characters, I think, are taking it very seriously the the material and and as is the director and I think it just it just shines and he is just excellent with the way he makes he builds scenes with music and how sometimes it's not even music it's just like chords or a sound um he did it in Blade Runner 2049 like amazingly and he does the same thing here in Dune and and you're right. I wish I would have saw it on the big screen. I saw it at home. I, it, it is interesting to see whether or not it's going to get any kind of nod for an Oscar. But I think it will. I think it's quality enough. I think their characters are robust enough to where they'll be able to do it. Yeah, the and the cast here, like you said, you know, the ones you didn't mention, Oscar Isaac, Josh Brolin, Javier Bardem. I mean, it's pretty pretty amazing that they were he was able to to gather these folks up dare you not mention dave batista how dare you dave batista one of the greatest uh, actors of our generation he's he's good at it and love uh, zendaya zendaya obviously has a uh, has a bigger part to come it seems like but she's she's not in this movie a whole lot she's more in visions than she is actually in actual scenes um yeah but uh i uh i can't wait for for part two and I will be there in IMAX. Hope, you know, hope, hopefully we'll uh, we'll get to see it within the next couple of years. What else you got? What else? Any movies that you saw this year you want to talk about? Yeah, so one that I just recently saw, uh, and it's I think pretty controversial, is Don't Look Up. Uh, and um, I one I haven't seen yet. I actually enjoyed it. Um, I call it liberal porn. It's straight out of that <laughs> side of Hollywood. They um, really, uh, I mean, Meryl Streep does her best Donald Trump impression. I don't know if it's really Donald Trump. I think she's just making fun of the political establishment. Mm-hmm. DiCaprio's awesome in it, as usual. Jennifer Lawrence is awesome. But the person that just blew me away in this is Kate Blanchett. I mean... She plays... So when I hear the words Kate Blanchett, I think high-end, powerful character, driven Elizabeth, right? Like, she's mm-hmm. she's the embodiment of actress, actor, mm-hmm. right? She plays a bimbo in this, in this... And she does it amazingly. Like, you can't... Like, you can't get enough of her on the screen. She does awesome. Yeah, another it's another movie that I have I haven't seen yet, but I I know a lot about and uh, again just haven't got to it yet, but I definitely will be uh, definitely will be checking it out. I didn't realize, but Michael Chiklis is supposedly in it, but I don't remember that. Hmm. Yeah, check it out. 
I don't know that I want to spoil too much of it for you. Mm-hmm. I don't know that there's much to spoil, but check it out. We'll talk about it another time after you do. Uh, the next movie I want to talk about was uh, another one I saw pretty recently is uh, by a movie from my, my favorite director, and that's uh, Licorice Pizza by uh, Paul Thomas Anderson. It's a great movie. I don't know if it's peak Paul Thomas Anderson, but I I just really enjoyed my time in the theater w- with this movie. Um, you know, it's it's a movie about kind of that time when you're – transitioning to adulthood and you have all the again and at least in the 70s and in art in the decade in the 80s you kind of are on that cusp of freedom and it's just a uh, you know a, a very interesting time and i think they he portrays it really well and it it's it reminds me a lot of once upon a time in hollywood and that it's just has a has a lot of fondness for a specific period of time in a specific place. And again, this is set in the Valley of Los Angeles and it's, it's really just nice, you know? And again, once upon a time in Hollywood, I I tried to sell you that was that I felt that was Quentin Tarantino's kind of softest movie. Again, it, it doesn't end, (laughs) it doesn't end, it doesn't end very soft. I don't think we should have this argument again. <laughs> but uh, I there is there's a couple things about it I th- that the licorice pizzas I think is taking some heat for that I, I was I was a little bewildered by in the theater um, and so I, I'm I'm interested for you to see this movie so that we can discuss it and uh, hopefully come to agreement that it's you know it's a good movie I hope to go see it this week nice yeah nice you got anything else. You know what? I it in I, some of these I'll just mention rather than running through it entirely because you and I, well, let's do mm-hmm. Spider Man No Way Home and then we'll sure. we'll move on because that's one I think we both have on our list. Um, yeah. I thought this movie was one of the better Marvel movies. I just think they now there's some glaring things that I constantly am thinking about this movie, and I'll start with that. That I think any Avenger should be able to get an MIT, no problem. Um, why Spider-Man would have any difficulty after saving the world to getting into MIT. I mean, I know MIT's tough, but come on, MIT, let him in. But the way they combined... Well, but he ki- he killed Mysterio. Yeah, okay. Um, <laughs> he does, I mean, save... Maybe somebody should talk to him. Maybe somebody should say, hey, Spider-Man, what's your side of the story? Instead of just blatantly accusing him and convicting him all in the yeah. press. That was my problem with the story was that, you know, there was this whole big thing that, oh, Spider-Man is Peter Parker and he is the one that murdered Mysterio. And then Matt Murdock shows up as, uh, spoiler alert, as, uh, as as his lawyer and suddenly that whole thing doesn't matter anymore. Yeah. Yeah. You know, there's, there's still J. Jonah Jameson kind of, you know, running his mouth a little bit, but the whole thing, like... Mysterio was right, and yada yada yada. That you know it was, I'll say it was just gone. But I, I so know. I think what I we, and maybe I'll speak for you a little bit, and you tell me if I'm right. But huh. the thing that's so endearing to this Spider-Man is that there's actual loss, and it's loss that you, if they bring her back, I'm out. I'm not watching another movie. Um, 
it there's like real i mean granted she died like four times but there's real loss and the actors portray that loss and it's heavy like it you feel it and then when the other i I mean we're spoiling this so when the other spider-man show up it's endearing there's it's not just i don't know it's very cool the way they did it and they made you feel something for it um whereas like another movie that i saw shang chi and the ten rings there really isn't any of those moments it's all just kind of run through run through to the end don't really buy into the characters i mean it's a good action film but it's not it's a movie you'll forget and I think that's why Spider-Man was so cool is that they made you care. They made you give a shit. And in the end, the story had some minor details that were screwed up. But in the end, the entire package seemed to work. And it worked well. The magic trick they pulled off is that they actually made us care about Andrew Garfield as Spider-Man. And, uh, you know, because those two Spider-Man movies were so maligned. But, you know, I, I don't. I, I don't remember much of those movies, but I don't remember thinking that he was a bad Spider-Man. I just think the movies weren't very good. But, you know, they really gave him... It was really kind of... I, I thought of, you know, him and Tobey Maguire. I thought they, they gave uh, Andrew Garfield a little bit of more shine. And, you know, he was he was the one to save Zendaya as, uh, as she's falling because he couldn't save... Uh, Emma Stone's Gwen Stacy in in his movie, and I thought that was just it was really well earned and it paid off and uh, was really emotional. I, I mean, I was I kind of found myself almost choking up during in the in, in that scene uh, during the movie. So, did you um, see those I, Andrew Garfield Spider Mans? I I know I saw the first one in the theater, and I I don't know that I've ever seen the second one front to back. But I, I've seen parts of it. I've seen, obviously, seen the scene where he didn't catch Emma Stone, and she, you know, she ends up dying. In uh, again, the Amazing Spider-Man two. But I don't know. I don't remember much about it, so I know that I haven't seen it front to back. Mm. He is. Um, he's in a movie that um, having a, a medic background um, really laid in. Like really, he's incredible in it. It's called Hacksaw Ridge, mm-hmm. and he is the story is amazing, but he does it really well. I don't know if he won an award for it or not, but he should have. It, it's a I think he was nominated. Phenomenal. I movie. think he was nominated for it. He deserved it. But. He deserved it. I think. I, I think it's a no brainer though that people are going to like sp- the Spider Man movie. I don't. I don't foresee it not being. It'll be interesting to see if it's. Uh, I think Dune is probably going to take its spot in the in the Best Picture nominations. I, I can't imagine that they would have both of those movies in the in the Best Picture nominations. Um, but I think, if, as I said, if anybody gets nominated for acting from it, I think Andrew Garfield might has a shot at a at a Best Supporting Actor nomination. So, be interesting. I think the interesting thing with Spider-Man and Marvel is, for whatever reason, Spider-Man is kind of their go-to deal-with-tragedy guy. He seems to be dealing with a lot of, like, in Infinity Wars, he was the one that dealt the most with Iron Man dying. Um, He's constantly getting... Well, he's the most street-level 
relatable character, relatable superhero. You don't relate to Thor in any kind of way. I kind of relate to Thor. (laughs) (laughs) No, I haven't drank a cask of mead lately. Yeah, right. I don't know. It's interesting that he's like my. As soon as my my boy, excuse me, my youngest boy found out that there was Spider Man, he had to go see it and. When he saw it, I'm not sure he was ready for what was on the screen. He was like, man, this is pretty emotional. But, yeah. well, so that kind of does it. I think we've um, we've kind of made it through the the movies that made the most impact on us. I did want to mention one more movie that I have seen that I would recommend. Wait a minute. Is this I've... the one that's Wade's absolute favorite thing of the year that he doesn't know where to put in no. these lists? It's a surprise. Is this, are we at that moment? No, we're not at that. Just moment. so you guys uh, know, he put that on our. Normally, we do kind of a notes thing, and he put that on. My, I'm getting surprised, as are you yeah. in the audience there. Yeah. yeah. So, but the movie I want to mention that we won't go on too much about it because I think it's going to get a lot of press in the next couple of weeks because I think it's, from what I know, it's kind of the front runner for best picture, and that's that's Power of the Dog on Netflix. Uh, Benedict Cumberbatch, Jesse Plemons, Kirsten Dunst. Um, and it's uh, directed by Jane Campion, who did uh, The Pianist uh, long ago. And uh, she hasn't directed a feature feature film in about 12 years. Um, when I saw this movie, I I didn't... It was very slow. Um, a lot like uh, Nomadland in that it's, you know, spends a lot of time on the vistas um, and what have you. But the movie stuck with me. And... Uh, you know, it has has kind of an odd ending, um, but I think it's uh, it's it's definitely one of the best movies uh, of the year, in my opinion. But it's it just left me in a weird spot, and I, I always think that movies that make me think about them for several days in a row must be good. They they've done something um, sure. To, to 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 evoke that thought and, and this is one of those pieces and i i'm still kind of processing it and so you got another one that if it makes the uh, the best picture list i'll be interested to see what you think about yeah it. i mean i think i i've heard the rumblings about it uh it's on my list i'm trying to get ahead of our oscar show too so copious notes when i watch it but honestly it you know i when i saw the trailer on it i was like this is gonna be a slow ass movie and uh it is. It's a slow burn, but uh, I think it. I, I've come to the spot that it's a good movie. Okay. <laughs> when I when I the first time I watched it, I was like, "Man, was that?" And you know, again, the more I thought about it, I you know, there's certain things I picked out that I liked and and what have you. But yeah, now it's the time. Is this a big uh, unveil? Yeah, a, a drum roll. You know, we can put that in and post. But um, the favorite thing that I saw this year. And again, I don't know if it's a TV show. I don't know if it's a movie. I don't know what to call if it. If you say YouTube girl in bikini running away from Bigfoot. <laughs> no, it's close. It's close, though. It's YouTube related. Oh, my God. In that, in that it's Bo Burnham's Inside. And uh, I've made you sit down and watch this with me in, when uh, we were we were in, uh, in Massachusetts together. Uh, and we watched at least the first half of this. And... I can't stop thinking about it. I listen to the album a lot. I, you know, it's it's Bo Burnham doing these silly songs about being trapped in his house during a pandemic, and but it's also just kind of more. It's about depression and the internet 
and everything the internet is doing to our brains and everything that's doing to our kids' brains. And I, it's just, it was literally the the most the thing that made the biggest impression on me throughout the year. And if you don't get the feels when you listen to the breakdown segment or the the bridge of white woman's Instagram when he starts talking about, when he starts talking about the 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 dead mom in in, uh, in that song, then I don't think you have a heart. And uh, I just again, I, there's so many things that I could list off that just make me cackle every time I listen to it. Um, it was the funniest thing. It was the most heartfelt thing. Um, and it's, and it's dark as well. And it, it kind of takes you to those places and makes you think about your own mortality. And again, w- what are we doing in this world and how can I make it better? And I think that's, uh, when you, when you start thinking about those kind of things, uh, that's, that's a piece of art that's worth, uh, holding up. So, well, that's, uh, yeah, I, um, I think about the little bit that I said, I don't know if we saw half of it. Maybe we did. I um I think about it a lot, um, but I don't think about it in terms of the performance. I think about the discipline that he had, and he struggles with it. And I, that's what I remember is him like, yeah. I got to continue to do this because I said I made a promise that I was going to do this, um, and that was uh, I don't know pretty cool. I do need to finish watching. Well, that's it. that's that's the thing about it is again if you if you don't know. It, it, the the conceit is that he's one man in an apartment, and I don't think he truly lived in that apartment all year all year round. Um, but he's but he definitely shot, acted, wrote all the songs, and edited it all himself, and set up the lighting, all of it himself. And when you when you start really deconstructing each of these songs or these skits that he's doing. It's it's hard to imagine how much thought and planning actually went into each of those, and and just lighting it just right, and getting the timing of the lighting just right. Um, that's an achievement in itself. But then you know if you listen to the songs, you 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 know you listen to the words, and uh, just again some of it is just so uproariously funny um, that. Uh, you know, I just I just can't get over it. And again, I'll, I'm not going to do some sort of Bo Burnham impression here and, and recite my favorite bits. Yeah, don't, but don't um, do it. <laughs> but uh, you know, the song about sexting. Um, I, I remember you and I laughing our asses off at that when he's. Uh, uh, again, I'm not just not going to do yeah. that. But uh, and then "Welcome to the Internet" is another favorite of mine too. Just when he's he's basically listing off everything that you can do on the internet, and it gets dark and it gets really really fucking funny so i can't recommend it any more higher wade's favorite thing of the year put the stamp on it and play the air horns i like it yeah i think i anyway. i need to re- i need to finish watching that one i'd like to get my wife to watch it see if she uh she feels the same way about it yeah the i mean the, the other things i just i kind of want to just give a couple of shouts out to, to just a couple things real quick um i think it's not on my best of list because I, I actually really kind of don't like the show um, on the whole. But, and that's the show Euphoria. Um, it's That's a Zendaya show. It's on HBO. It's just starting its second season right now. 
the show is actually kind of hard to watch for me because it's uh, it you know kind of shows teens doing drugs and having sex and you know I have young boys and and I'm hoping you know my boys are more become respons- more responsible than the teens they're depicting on this show but in between the first and second season um, they, they the second season was delayed and so but they wanted to have more euphoria out there, so they wrote these episodes. Um, they call, you know, they're just called them special episodes, kind of like the uh, the special movie of the week or, or what have you that we, we used to have. But the the episodes focus on Rue uh, Zendaya and and her love interest on the show, Jules, uh, who's played by Hunter Schaefer. And the the episode these special episodes because they were made at kind of a height of COVID are very stripped down and they're basically just kind of like therapy sessions for the, each of them and I mean I just I thought they were again very slow but it's just it's just two people basically having a conversation um, and kind of deconstructing their their psychology and, and what's all going on with them and you know Zin, if you don't know the show Zendaya is a, a young girl who um, has gone through some tragedy in her life and has now turned to drugs to cope. Well, and Jules is um, a, a trans female um, who has also gone through some stuff in uh, in her life and just very interesting discussions of what trauma and, uh, you know, what having certain types of parents can do to you and I, I, again, I, I thought they were just phenomenal, contrasted to the actual show, which is very kinetic, lots of movement of cameras, very quick cutting, lots of um, party scenes or what have you, to slow it down and just have two kind of one-hour conversations with, with each of these characters. I, I just thought it was really unique. And again, these both came out around the holidays last year, and I, I was I just caught up with the show, so... Um, I was new to these, but I, again, I, I don't know that I can recommend you watch the show, but also these special episodes won't mean much to you if you just, if you don't watch the show. Um, but I thought they were just really, really worth talking about. And, um, I think they, in the end are, are positive force, um, for folks in trying to understand, um, why people turn to drugs and also, you know, the struggles of being a, tr- a trans person in, in our society. And I think, uh, I, again, I just think they're really worthwhile. Yeah, I um, so. th- you and I have talked about this show and the struggles we've had with, I, I for whatever reason, I, I don't have an itch to see this show. And I think it has a lot to do with exactly what you're saying is I'm prepping three kids right on the brink of a lot of what this show is tackling and Mm -hmm. i got enough of it at home i don't know that i need it on a show so i'm for now gonna stay away from it but it is neat that they're you know i what you described and i don't know if this is gonna sound really silly but did you watch family ties growing up (laughs) yeah of course do you remember there was an episode with alex p keaton um, mm-hmm. where they dealt with the death of his friend 
and it was like with a psychiatrist and it was like a black screen and he was kind of moving scene to scene. Mm -hmm. I'm 46 years old. I still remember that. It made that kind of impression on me. And I'm like, I wonder if these are making, making the same type of impression at least. I, I, I definitely didn't make that connection, but 100%. That's, I mean, it's really what both of them are. And, um, you know, even though they are very, again, they're COVID-friendly productions. It's basically, the first one is Rue and her uh, N.A. sponsor sitting at a diner having pancakes. And uh, her sponsor is played by uh, Coleman Domingo, who you've probably seen in um, Fear of the Walking Dead, if you watch that show. Um, he's fantastic. But there's, the, he, he's this, again, he's, 53-year-old former crack addict um, who basically always is calling Rue on her bullshit, you know, because she's still using even though she's going to NA meetings and claiming she's not and what have you. Um, And you see him constantly portrayed as this truth seeker, truth teller. He, He can always see through her bullshit and tell her the right thing to say. But then at some point during the conversation, he steps out of the diner and try it's Christmas Eve or something. And he calls one of his, or he gets a call from one of his estranged daughters and it's just a side of them that you've never seen. And and it just helps you make that connection even deeper um, into caring about this character. And it's, you know, and it's again just such a departure from the rest of the show that I, I, you know, I really was hoping that when they came to the second season, they were going to learn maybe some lessons from that and and potentially kind of not do the the shock value stuff that they do in the first season. Unfortunately, I my my uh, my dream there was not has not been fulfilled yet, but um, I, I again just can't can't speak enough about them the the job it does in furthering the development of these characters in just these two episodes really really great stuff so yeah well even even though i may not care for them (laughs) if i have to continue to watch the this you know so i'm just hoping they do more of this which i don't know if they're ever gonna but yeah i mean it go it comes into play like where can shows go now with multimedia outlets right like do a little Mm -hmm. blurb on youtube just to carry a story um, but well, and yeah, and similarly, you know, you have the the Marvel universe that are you know making everything interconnected with these TV shows, and and you know, yeah, what's next? Are we going to have Marvel stories on TikTok too? And I mean, <laughs> why not? Right? It's just it's yeah. it's a brand new world. But I think ultimately, I'd like to see a higher, and we I think we're beating a dead horse, but. A higher level of film, a higher le- level of filmmaking, um, a little bit more challenging. I still remember um, our reaction to Tenet when Tenet came out, and we were like, "Yeah, it's got action, but you got to also use your head a little bit to figure th- some things out." And and um, you know, the the most of the Oscar movies of last year were dramatic and had a story and something to say. I don't see a lot of that this year so far. Well, and, and, and it'll be interesting, and I think we're going to have a podcast episode upcoming about it. 
but I think Marvel really thought the Eternals was going to be that. And I, you know, I think there are some good and bad about that movie. Um, but I'm, I'm really interested to have that discussion with you of kind of what they were going for, because I think it was some very ambitious, potentially storytelling that didn't always hit its mark. So, yeah, I just started that. I, think, uh, I um, I've resisted it for a while, but, um, yeah. I made it through Shang Chi yeah. uh, in the 10 rings. And I thought that was just a basic action film. And then I jumped into, I call it immortals, but it's eternals. And, uh, we'll, uh, we'll, we'll talk about it on the next one. <laughs> All right. So Wade, where do you think, uh, what, what do you think we should do next on the podcast? Is there uh, one particular show or movie that you want to tackle right away? Yeah, well, like I said, I, you know, I'd like to do uh, a succession review. So I'm, I'm hoping you can make it through uh, the first season of succession. Yep. I'd like to kind of, and I don't know where you're at with the Disney Plus shows. I don't, I don't know that we need to do a, you know, kind of show by show episode but i really kind of want to talk about what these disney plus shows are doing and what it means in the grander scheme with how and how they're relating back to the movies and some so are you talking about marvel or star wars oh uh you know kind of both um but more marvel than star wars yeah because um i'd like to focus on marvel right now so mm -hmm. if we did session i'd like to do licorice pizza Mm -hmm. yeah that'd be a good one and then potentially jump into kind of a hodgepodge Marvel visit, kind of the new direction they're heading in. Yeah. They still haven't honored your wish of getting away from Infinity Wars. <laughs> it's still, even in the Spider-Man, it was still yep. kind of very in your face that yep. that had happened. And, but there's some big Marvel movies coming this year in 2022 that are, I mean, it's like right back in your face. So looking yeah. forward to that. I'm really interested to discuss where they're going with this and where I think they're potentially going wrong with this. Mm. Okay. Um, as far as other things, you know, I think if, if you do get do get through Station Eleven, I'd love to do a Station Eleven podcast. Uh, another show that's that's just wrapped up that I've finished um, that I think would be a good uh, a good podcast, being that it's basically set um, in our and our heyday is Yellow Jackets. Um, okay. I think it's, it's, it's a fun one. It'd be a fun one to discuss. The so. only um, one other than Licorice Pizza that I'm really kind of interested in, in talking to you about is Man in the Arena, which is around the Tom Brady. Uh, I am sickly interested in that. I haven't watched um, any of that yet. I haven't uh, either. It's on my list. <laughs> I hear some interesting things around scenes from a marriage. Uh, that that's pretty good. It's got your boy in it that you love so much. Oscar Isaac, yeah. But otherwise, I think uh, I think we made it to the end. What do you think? We did. We uh, you know hopefully we have our audio issues uh, unscrambled and, uh, and figure it out here. We'll be able to put this one out into the world and listen to everyone us ramble about our favorite stuff of the year. But I think it was a I think it was a worthwhile journey. It was worth the wait. Yeah, yeah, it was good. So we'll. Um, We'll end it there. We'll see you guys next time. Uh, have a good night, and uh, we'll talk to you later. Bye. That concludes the show. Thanks, everyone, for listening. 
We'd love to get your support and your opinion of the podcast, so please subscribe and review us on Apple Podcasts. Follow us on Twitter at Deep Shots Pod and on Facebook, Deep Shots Podcasts. Email your comments, opinions, and future show suggestions at deepshotspod at gmail.com. Stay safe. Much love. Bye.